Welcome to Riverside Online. We are now in a new series called The Beautiful Collision, which is a follow-on from our Easter message. If you miss them, you can catch them up on our YouTube channel. Now, let's get into the new series. Many of you know that before I went into the ministry, I was a geologist. And one of the things that I needed to do most days was go underground. I'd get on this conveyor belt, which would take us down and we would choose the the level that we were going to. And then we'd go to all the faces. And sometimes we were walking through big cavernous open areas. Sometimes we were leopard crawling through tiny little gaps, walking sometimes through water up to our waist. Sometimes the ventilation wasn't always so lacquer and so it was hot and stuffy. And as I described that to some of you, the most common response is, I could never do that. All right, just being confined and the claustrophobia and being under so many hundreds of meters of rock just freaks most people out. I kind of enjoyed it, but I understand that one of the most frightening things for human beings is confinement is the sense of feeling trapped and being powerless to do anything about that. And so as I talk about being trapped or being powerless, I wonder what comes to mind. One of the things that comes to mind is being a younger kid and being held down by somebody only to be tickled by somebody else. And that's kind of one of those fun, frustrating moments, right? Um, Something else that comes to mind, and I can't remember who told me this story. It might have even been someone in my family, but they got locked between their front gate and their front door, and no one knew that they were there and they were trapped there for hours, and it was frustrating and confining and there was nothing anybody could do about that. But some of the things that come to mind as we think about being trapped and confined may be a little bit more serious than that. Maybe you remember being ganged up upon at break time as a kid and being held down while somebody else bullied you. Maybe you do think about being confined in a tight space and it was traumatic for you or being held in a, a hot car and there was nothing you could do about that. We as human beings hate this feeling of powerlessness that comes with being trapped and confined. Now what all of these have in common is this feeling of lack of access to freedom, lack of options, and the sense of being trapped and confined. Now, maybe as I spoke through some of these examples, something came to mind, but maybe nothing came to mind for you. But what we're going to talk about today is that it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're religious or irreligious, every single one of us has an area in our lives where we are trapped and we are confined. We don't have access to freedom, but I'm going to circle around and come back to that later. See, we're starting a brand new series today called A Beautiful Collision. A Beautiful Collision, which is a bit of an oxymoron, right? When you hear the word collision, very often we think about negative things, maybe a car crash where there was possibly some trauma. So why the word beautiful? Well, this past Easter, we as Christians just celebrated around the world God's incredible act of saving humanity, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we recognize that as the center point of our faith and the thing that we celebrate the loudest and the most. 
But one of the things that troubles me as a pastor is when this incredible act of God doesn't seem to make much difference in people's lives. And if I'm honest with you, there are times when I ask that of myself, this huge, sacrificial, powerful act of God, why doesn't it make more of a difference in my life? Especially when I compare my life to how the Bible describes how we engage with God. The way the Bible describes our engagements with God is that we were on a a trajectory of life that was going to crash. But then we encounter God. And sometimes it does feel like a collision. Right. Very often there is a sense that something in me needs to die. But it's also beautiful because God starts to rebuild my life around him and around his purposes. And while it may not always feel like a momentous collision, some of our transformations have been more like the Apostle Paul, who was on his way to kill and to persecute Christians, encountered God, had this beautiful collision with God, and his life immediately changed 180 degrees. But maybe you and I are more like Peter. Peter was kind of right-hearted, wrong-headed, always meaning the right thing, doing the right, the, the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing. I mean, on one hand, Jesus, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I will die for you if need be. A few minutes later, um, I don't even know who this Jesus is, right? Denying the same Christ. Five steps forward, three steps backwards. But Peter too would describe that he encountered God in in this collision way and his life was different. But here's what the Bible doesn't allow for, is that we encounter God, we have this collision and that it means nothing to us. And so this series is designed to help us see with more clarity this incredible work of God on the cross. But here's the thing about the cross. It's not a monolith, meaning it's not this simple single thing. Instead, it's more like a jewel or a multifaceted diamond that if you hold it up and you look at it from different angles, you begin to see the beauty. You get to appreciate the complexity and everything that's gone into making this diamond so beautiful. In the same way, the Bible doesn't talk about the cross in one way. It describes it in a number of different ways, not competing ways, but showing us different angles of this single, incredible, powerful moment of the cross. So we actually started that on Easter weekend, where we looked at Good Friday. Where Good Friday, we looked at Jesus, our substitute, that Jesus became sin on my behalf and he died in my place. Then on Sunday, Craig preached about Jesus, our victor, where Jesus showed us his power and his victory over sin, over death, over Satan and his demonic powers. And we celebrate Jesus, the victor. And today we're going to be talking about Jesus, our redeemer. Now, before we dive in, one last thing I want to say about this. A lot of these words, if we talk about, which we're going to get to, justification, redemption, Jesus our victor, Jesus our substitute, Jesus our ransom, these words can sound like cliches. 
These words can sound like Christian knees, just a bunch of Christian words that I don't really know what they mean, but I say amen, hallelujah, every time I hear them, I put them in my songs, I go to church and celebrate these things, but I don't really fully understand them. We want to help facilitate you and God having this beautiful collision by unpacking each of these words and each of these concepts at a deeper level so that we can be forever changed by encountering God through the cross of Jesus Christ. So today is about Jesus, our Redeemer, or Jesus, our redemption. So what do we mean by Jesus, our Redeemer? Well, we're going to look at a number of verses, but it comes out strongly in Titus 2 verses 13 to 14. Where he says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to redeem us from all wickedness. Now, something that you may or may not know is that many of these concepts that we talk about in the New Testament actually find their origins in the Old Testament. So where does this idea of redemption come from in the Old Testament? And it takes us right back to the time of Moses and the Exodus, where God's people had been in slavery for over 400 years. They were oppressed. They were dehumanized. Pharaoh was treated by the Egyptians as a god, but it was this god that enslaved God's people, that cut off their access to freedom, that treated them with absolute violence and brutality. And then in the story of redemption, God comes in, working with them through the person of Moses. But God comes in and he confronts the powers that were enslaving God's people. He confronts Pharaoh. He confronts the evil realities behind what is going on. As he brings these plagues, every single one of these plagues was showing up the weakness and the falsehood of all of the Egyptian gods and the weakness and the powerlessness of Pharaoh. And so he confronts these powers and he breaks these powers. Then it comes to the final plague where God says, take the blood of a perfect lamb and wipe it on the doorframe of your houses. My angel of death is going to come, is going to pass over this land. And if this angel sees this blood on the doorframes, he'll pass you over and you'll be spared. However, for everybody else, I'm going to take their firstborn. And this is an absolute picture of tragedy and judgment against these powers that oppress God's people. And so this angel came in and it was a night of darkness and a night of loss, but God's people were spared. And then they were set free to go towards their promised land. And this is what God calls redemption. I want you to notice a couple of themes here. There is slavery. There is confinement. There is lack of access to freedom. God comes in and confronts the powers. He breaks the powers. He protects his people through the blood of a perfect lamb. And then he sets them free. Listen to how this is described as God is saying, this is what I am going to do for you. He says in Exodus 6, 6, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And then after the fact, Deuteronomy 7 verses 8, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that 
that he brought you with the out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from slavery from the power of Pharaoh king of Egypt. And this is such an incredibly emotive moment of God acting in history in such a powerful way. And while it was such a powerful moment of God's acting, it was only the framework. It was only laying down the templates of how God was going to work in a far greater redemptive way. And so he comes to us in Jesus Christ and he sees us in slavery. He confronts the powers that are enslaving us and confining us and cutting off from our free, us all from our freedom. He protects us by the blood of the Lamb, who in this case was the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain for the world and for our sin. And then He sets us free. And the Bible focuses on this moment as the act of redemption, the act where God acted most powerfully and most redemptively. But then how is it that we can hear these stories and be unchanged? And I think Part of it is rooted in the fact that we don't fully comprehend the slavery that we are under. I mean, if you were an, in Egypt as a Hebrew three and a half thousand years ago, man, you would have seen people beaten and treated with brutality and, and violence. You would have felt and experienced the limits of your slavery. You would have only dreamed about freedom. Then you see God act in this powerful way, freeing you. And that freedom would have been so palpable. And yet for us, I don't believe that we fully understand how we are slaves. This morning you got up. You had your cup of tea or coffee. You had your breakfast. Possibly you got in a car and you drove freely to somebody's home to do church online. You are possibly going to go back home and have a meal or go out to eat freely. And so you feel largely in control of your life. And for that reason, we don't fully comprehend the slavery that Jesus opposed on our behalf. So how are we slaves? Well, when the Bible, especially the New Testament, speaks about us being slaves and being redeemed from out of the slavery, it talks about it in two ways. And the first one is we are slaves to sin. We are slaves to sin. Ephesians 1 7 says, In him, that's in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Now, I know once again we can hear that and it just sounds like Christianese. Well, to help provide some context, I've got a challenge for you. It's one of these seven-day challenges, right? Like starting a new diet or a new form of exercise, right? Seven days, starting tomorrow, here's the challenge. You are not allowed to sin at all. Seven days. Easy, right? So just to help you understand where I'm going with this, I'm not just talking about the big sins. I'm not just saying don't go kill anyone and don't go have any affair. If we are going to live a life without sin, firstly, we have to put God first in all things. In my life, in my mind, in my strength, in my heart, in my finances, in my decisions. Then I've got to love my neighbor as I love myself and as I love God. Meaning I've got to live sacrificially for my neighbors. 
It means that I cannot be unjustly angry, even in my heart. I cannot lust after anyone, even in my heart and in my imagination. I cannot imagine what it's like to be married to anybody else. If there's anyone who is holding a grudge against me, I need to forgive them. If I have some enemies, I need to bless them. I need to learn to love them. I need to serve them. I can't judge anyone. All right, I need to be insanely generous. That means I can't be hangry. I can't be grumpy. I can't be self-righteous. But guys, this is easy. Just seven days, right? Well, I guarantee you that within the first five minutes of opening your eyes tomorrow morning, whether you're aware of it or not, you would have fallen short. Five minutes. Maybe some of you will take five seconds, depending on how the kids wake you up tomorrow morning. I'm not just talking about sins of commission, the sins we do. I'm also talking about the sins of omission, the things, the good things, the right things we are not doing, but ought to be doing. We will not last five minutes. All this to say, whether we're religious or not, I'm sure we can agree on this one point as hard as it is to hear that we are sin addicts. We are sin addicts. Some of our addictions are more obvious uh, and they're easy to be seen. But some of us are addicts to food. Some of us are addicts to our comfort. Some of us are addicts to ourselves and our own sense of importance. And the list can go on and on and on. But we cannot go five minutes without going again and again and again to sin. And maybe we've tried to stop, but because we're addicts, we go back. And we've tried and we go back. And we've tried and we go back. Some of the sins we're guilty of, like pride and self-righteousness, maybe we are unaware of them. And so we're so unaware of what an addict we are to our own sin. But then Jesus' story of redemption is that he comes in and he breaks the powers over us. In this case, he breaks the power of sin over us on the cross. He pays the ransom price with his own blood and he sets us free. That is Christ redeeming us from the power of sin, centering on the cross. But a second more nuanced way that the Bible describes us as slaves is that we're slaves to the law. Listen to what it says in Galatians 4 verses 4 to 5. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those from under the law. You see, the law shows us that there are two ways to be far from God. On one hand, it can show us that we're lawbreakers, that we are rebels. And what the law does, it shows you exactly where and how we have fallen short. The problem with that is it cannot help you obey the law. It cannot help you with righteousness. It can just show you how you failed. And so if our tendency is rebellion and law breaking, the law leads us to despair. On the other hand, the law can lead us to pride and a sense of self righteousness as we look at our lives and we're so proud of how I fulfilled God's law and look at what I've done. 
This comes out so clearly as we've spoken about many times before in the story of the prodigal son, where the youngest son was the rebel, the lawbreaker. He was tired of God. He was tired of God's house and God's people and God's laws. And he just wanted to hightail out of there. And on the way, he broke every rule possible and he knew it. But then there was the older brother and he too was under the curse of the law because the older brother, he was in proximity to the father. But we start to see that he was as far from God as his younger brother. You see, he did everything right and he was proud of it. And for him, that meant that he deserved grace from his father and that his father owed him and he harbored this bitterness within his own heart as he didn't clearly know and understand and fully love his father and so the the younger son was under the law but he was the rebel the older son was under the law and he was full of pride and self-righteousness and this is so much harder to see Because we're in church, we're doing the right thing, we're saying the right thing, we're trying really hard. But very often there's an anger deep within our hearts because God owes me. And in my opinion, God has failed me because look at what I've done. I deserve better. And so the law shows us that when we're under the law, whether we're failing it or in our own strength trying to fulfill it, it keeps us away from from God. And God's saving or redemptive work is when he comes in Jesus and he lives the law fully and perfectly every single detail of the law in his actions in his the, the things that he shouldn't have done, the things that he should have done in his heart, in his mind. God was first in all things and his neighbors were first in all things. And so Jesus fully satisfied the law. But then he died on the cross and he confronted the curse of the law. And he himself became the curse and broke the curse of the law on the cross so that he could set us free. This is Christ's redemptive work to those of us who are under the law. And so you can see that the path to freedom is not the path of self-betterment or the path of trying harder. The path to freedom is starting to admit that you're a slave and that you're powerless to do anything about it. You need to see that you could not save yourself from this condition. You're completely cut off from options. You're completely cut off from freedom. And these things had become like gods in your life, like this Pharaoh. And as much as we worshiped them as gods and we lived according to their desires, they responded by enslaving us and dehumanizing us and moving us away from God's plan for our lives. That is what we need to understand so that when we see God's redemption on the cross in Jesus Christ, we see the defeat of the greater power over the lesser. Jesus over the powers that were above us and enslaving us, setting us free at the cost of his own blood so that we can go and live according to his purposes. But we don't always see that. And there's a very interesting reason as to why. I don't know if you've ever heard about something called Stockholm Syndrome. Stockholm Syndrome is something that sometimes happens with people who are in captivity or who are being abused, where these people start to develop emotional bonds of affection and love for their abusers or their captors. 
And so this can happen in abusive relationships. This can happen in uh, real situations of captivity. And this can also happen with our sin. Where we at some level understand that yes, this is wrong. But my heart is so much for my sin that I develop an emotional attachment to my abusers and my captives. And I see what Jesus did on the cross. And it means nothing. I sing the songs. I use the cliches. I say amen, hallelujah. But I don't take the path of freedom that Christ has for us. Earlier, I read a verse from Titus chapter 2. Now, to fully understand what God wants for us when it comes to his redemption, I'm going to read from a few verses earlier, include what we read, and read a few verses on. It says this from verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That is Jesus Christ. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good you see God redeemed us in order to set us free we see this with the Hebrews when they were in slavery with the Egyptians When God released them out of Egypt, that wasn't the end of the story. In many ways, that was only the beginning of the story. The rest of the story was going to be God leading them towards the life of freedom. Where they lived as God was their God and they were his people. And they were able to thrive under God's reign and rule. And they were able to represent God well as they were a light to the nations around them. You see, real freedom is living the life that God has for us. Redemption has to lead towards what this verse says. Listen here. For the grace of God has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Guys, This is going to come up again and again and again. Redemption isn't so that one day I don't go to the bad place, I go to the good place. No, redemption is so that I get to live the life of freedom now. And because I'm walking in the freedom of Christ, I get to inherit eternal life in this age and the age to come. It says here that Jesus redeemed us from all wickedness and to purify for himself the people that are his very own. I am the God, they are my people, and we are eager to do what is good. And so, yes, freedom after God has redeemed us does involve new boundaries. Freedom doesn't mean go and do whatever you want. That's what got us into slavery in the first place, right? Freedom does involve boundaries. We all need boundaries in order to be free. The goldfish needs the boundary of water in order to be free. Marriages need boundaries in order to thrive and to be free. If you look at any relationship and look at where there's pain in the relationship, you will see a boundary has been transgressed. So it's not about whether or not there are boundaries. It's about which boundaries provide the greatest freedom. And God does set us free. And then he does give us boundaries so that we can thrive. Timothy Keller puts us this way. He says, freedom is not the absence of restrictions, but the presence of the right restrictions. 
Now we need to know this walk into freedom is a journey. It is one thing to get God's people out of Egypt. It is another thing to get Egypt out of them. And it's one thing for Jesus to set us free. It's another thing for us to walk towards the freedom he has for us. And that is a book with many, many chapters. But the starting point is freedom. The starting point is knowing that the powers above me have been broken. And Jesus has paid for my freedom with his own life. And so I want to ask you to reflect on some of these things we've spoken about. And to really take some time to bring these things to mind. And the first question is this. Have you ever considered how much of a slave to sin you truly are? I know that's not popular language. I know that's not a common way to speak about things. But have you ever truly understood how our default is always away from God's goodness and God has for us? Maybe as I spoke, you started to see in yourself, as God started to put his finger on things in your life, that you are like the younger brother. You're a slave to sin. You you rebel. You tend to move away from the things of God. right? Or maybe you're more like the older brother. Maybe you're a slave to the law. Maybe you're a slave to your own goodness and your own self-righteousness. And yet you know your heart is bitter towards the Father because He hasn't given you what you think He owes you. Maybe you need to pause and recognize how your sin and sins are like Pharaoh. We treat them like God. We obey them intentionally or unintentionally. And yet in return, they are enslaving us and dehumanizing us. Or maybe we've got Stockholm Syndrome. We've so come to love our sin that we see the cross and we hear about God's redemption in Christ. But while our head knows that there's something wrong with this, our hearts choose sin maybe you need to wonder if maybe you've experienced the powers of sin being broken over you and you've accepted that in Christ but you're not walking towards freedom it kind of stopped there for you it gave you the magic ticket to go to the good place but you're not journeying towards freedom with God And so my prayer is that in some way, you've had a beautiful collision with the cross today. That you've encountered God. And while this event happened 2,000 years ago, right now, today, something is dying in this wreckage of this collision. Your sin is dying. You're seeing the powers that are holding you captive dying. You're seeing some of your own selfish hopes and dreams dying but you're also starting to experience beauty as God brings resurrection out of that death that God is starting to reform you and give you hope for what he truly wants for you and so I'm going to pray that God does exactly that in your life so father we come to you and I ask that there has been an encounter that there has been a collision And yes, maybe the collision does feel like a wreck because my life has been a wreck. But I've collided with grace. I've collided with life. I've collided with the resurrected God and resurrection power. 
And so, Lord, we give ourselves to you in the middle of this chaos to bring order and freedom and life into me and into my life. And Father, I acknowledge and I confess that I've been a slave. I have not fully understood it. I confess that I've loved my sin. I've confessed that I've treated your cross and your redemption lightly. But Father, you've spoken and you've shown me your power that has defeated and broken the power of sin and the law over me. That you're leading me towards freedom. So Holy Spirit, take us from this moment and lead us forward one step at a time to live these lives that display the freedom that you have bought for us in Christ. And we pray this in your mighty name. Amen.